Morning. I don't know about you, but have you ever been to a place where you find your prayer life with the Lord is not meaningful? You find your walk with the Lord is empty, doesn't do what it used to do? I know for myself that's been the case many times. It seems to be hills and valleys as I walk this life with the Lord. And more often than not, I find whenever I'm going through a time where my Christian walk seems not as sincere or not as genuine or just feel disconnected, I look at my prayer life and that's what's hindering. And so this morning I want to talk on the subject of prayer. John chapter 17 verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And unless we spend time with the Lord, how do we get to know him? And so that is my topic this morning. Feel free to turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 6, starting at verse 14. I'll be reading out of the Amplified Version, so it's going to read a little different than most of yours, most likely. It says, Inasmuch then as we believers have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith and cling firmly to our absolute trust in him as Savior. For we do not have a high priest who is un unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted knowing exactly what it feels like to be human in every respect as we are, yet without committing any sin. Therefore, let us with privilege approach the throne of grace, that is, the throne of God's gracious favor, with confidence and without fear, so that we may receive mercy for our fa failures and find his grace to help in time of need. You know, we're told to come to the throne room of grace boldly in this passage, knowing that he's there. You know, when I think of prayer, sometimes it feels as though we're there alone. And yet here, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we come to this throne room and he'll meet us there and that he will give us grace in time of need, help in time of need. He's not unable to sympathize with us. He knows what we're going through. He himself lived on the earth. He was tempted in every way you and I are. And so when we have difficulties in life, when we have emotions that we think no one understands. Scripture here tells us that he does. And we can come boldly to his throne of grace and he will give us help in time of need. Just want to contrast that with the Old Testament. In Luke, sorry, in Exodus chapter 19, starting at verse 10 through 13, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today. And tomorrow, and let them wash their clothing, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all his people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain to touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall be surely stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, then they shall come near to the mountain. What a contrast, isn't it? In the Old Testament, as the children of Israel cross the Red Sea, and they meet Moses, or they meet the Lord, and here he tells them, consecrate yourself for three days, 
bathe yourself, wash your clothing. When you hear the trumpet, you may come. And yet, we look at the passage in Ephesians, I mean, in Hebrews, and we're told to boldly come before the throne of grace. And so when we think of praying, it is an amazing opportunity we have as brothers and sisters of Christ to come before Him because of the work of Christ on the cross. This is before the death of Christ in Exodus there and in Hebrews we have after Christ died he sanctified us and as a result you and I those of us who are born again we have access to this throne of grace and we can receive help in time of need whereas in the Old Testament Christ had not died yet and yet today he has in ours has died for our sins and through that we have access to the throne room of grace and we're told to come there boldly or with confidence. With plainness of speech, we don't need to learn a different language. We don't need to be really good at communicating. Every one of us can come to the Lord as we are. No exceptions. If we're born again, we can come before the Lord and He hears us. We can come there fearlessly knowing that the punishment for our sin has been dealt with. Not fearing as in the Old Testament, when I go, will someone have to stone me? Will I be shot with an arrow? Will the wrath of God fall upon me? Yet we can come before this throne of grace with confidence, knowing that my sin has been dealt with. And I can come there in Jesus' name with confidence. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 6 says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and he will give graciously to all, without reproach, and will, will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, not doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, that is driven and tossed by the wind. So, even James tells us too, we can come to this throne of grace boldly, and ask for help. But we are to come not doubting. And so my prayer this morning is as we read the scriptures and as we look at the Lord's prayer that he gives us an example that we would gain faith knowing that as we come to him he will give us what we need. We do not need to go to him doubting that he's not there. When we're going through difficult times the Lord wants to meet us there. He wants to bless us. And so with that in mind if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be starting at verse 5 through 13. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue or on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. I surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. When you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. 
the same passage in Luke where Jesus shows us or gives us the example of how to pray, the apostles come to him and they say to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so that's why I've titled this message, Teach Us to Pray. Because this is the example that Christ gave. When you pray, pray this way. So going back to verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the streets of the corner, in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Or surely I say to you, they have their reward. First thing I want to point out is that when you pray, he's not saying if you pray. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Matthew Henry in his commentary says, A living man breathes, likewise the Christian man prays. Those who, us, those who are alive, they breathe oxygen in the same way the Christian man or woman prays. And so when you pray, do not be like the hypocrite. When you come before the Lord, understand who you are and understand who you're praying to. It's easy to come before Him very casually and not really paying attention to what's going on. Someone once asked, what would you do if you knew God was coming to your house tonight for supper? Knowing after you go home today, God Himself was going to visit your house. What would you do? How would you interact with Him? How earnest would you be? Would you be careful what you say, or would you not? I dare say all of us would. If not, we ought to be very careful what we say. When we come before the Lord, it's not a light matter. In the same way, we're told to come to the throne of grace with boldness and, and with courage and with fearlessness. But at the same time, we need to recognize who we are and who we're approaching. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ shed for our sins, we would have no access. But because of his death on the cross, we have access. So when we pray, we can come there boldly, but we didn't recognize who's talking. Who are we as people? We are sinners redeemed by the grace of God. So we ought to come with thankfulness. Do not be like the hypocrite. Don't just have a prayer life that is seen by those around you. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Jesus says here that because they do so, to be, pray, to be pray to be seen by men, they have their reward. Prayer does reward you. And that's why even as I started, just the verse that came to my mind this, here as we we're singing is John 17 verse 3. This is eternal life that they may know you. To know Jesus Christ, there is no greater joy that I've ever experienced. Is when I walk in fellowship with him, when he communes with me, and so to know Christ is a reward. And here he says, those who pray to be seen by men or who do it as a public setting only, they have their reward. Men will say, there goes a prayer warrior if that's all you're doing. And so Christ wants to show us here or gives us an example of how we should pray. Going to verse 6 there, he says, but when you pray, again, not if you pray, when you pray, Go into the room, into your room and shut, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who is in secret sees it, he will reward you openly. Find a place of solitude. Find a quiet place 
not a place where you can't be heard, but rather a place where you're not distracted from the cares of this life. When you seek the Lord in prayer, when you seek to have a meaningful relationship with the Lord, find a place where you're not distracted, whether it's your phone, your children, your business, or whatever else you have going on in your life. Find a place of solitude where you have nothing distracting you and seek the Lord. Matthew 14.23 says, And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up unto the mountain by himself to pray. When evening had come, he was there alone. Then also in Luke 6, verse 12, it says, In those days he went up, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. Christ practiced this. He removed himself from the, he removed himself from the crowds and found a place of solitude to pray. And so when we come to the Lord, don't just find a public place to be seen, but find a place where no one sees you. Seek the Lord in a private place where you can commune with Him. I know for myself, if, just some practical advice here, even for when it comes to praying, pray out loud. Don't just pray quietly. I find for my Self and many of I've who I've talked to have said the same thing. When they pray quietly, they begin their prayer right. Ten minutes into it, they're praising their work or they're thinking about what I should do tomorrow. Or what meal should I make tonight? Anybody else ever done that? I've done that so often. I'll pray quietly and ten minutes later I'm like, what am I doing installing my next floor job? This is supposed to be my time with the Lord. And so a way that helps me is I find a place where no one can hear me besides the Lord. And I pray out loud, verbally, so I can hear the words I'm saying. So that my mind can't run away. And so I really encourage, find a place. Whether it's in your house somewhere where you're away from the children. Whether it's in your vehicle. I do most of my praying like that when I go to work. I'm by myself. I have half an hour sometimes a little bit more, and I pray out loud. No one can hear me but the Lord, and I can fully express what I'm feeling. And so, in doing so, when I find myself that my walk with the Lord seems dull, it's a great recharge. And you and I were not created to be left alone, to walk this life by ourselves. The Lord is there. He wants to be near and dear to us. So find a place of solitude, where you can go before the Lord, where you can pray to Him and that He can commune with you. Speak to the Lord. A place away from distractions. Also want to look at James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it upon your own passion. You know when I pray again quietly, I'm not even very often aware of the words I'm saying. It becomes a pattern of whatever I said last time. And I'll ask for things. I've caught myself this when I pray aloud. That sometimes my prayers are exactly this here 
as James says, I pray for things to consume upon my own passion. I do not have a burden for lost souls. I do not have a concern for other brothers who are struggling. All I am thinking about is myself. When I pray aloud, as you commune with the Lord, there's conviction. He reveals to you where you're at. And he shows you and he changes you. And that is, I believe, the point of prayer is to change you as you commune with the Lord, to reveal you to you who you are so that you'll be changed. Verse 7 says, When you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. Don't use vain repetition. Again, going back to praying out loud, you will find very quickly if you're not praying out loud, or at least maybe this is just what I struggle with, but if I pray quietly, they are the same prayers. And they are vain because I don't even pay attention to what I'm praying. When I think of a vain prayer, as Jesus says here, it's a prayer that has no purpose. The only reason I'm saying these things is because it's a custom, a ritual that I have practiced. And I am before the Lord, not really praying, but just reciting some words. And it's not time well spent. It's just vain. It does not accomplish anything. That's the meaning of the word vain itself. You accomplish nothing. Nothing happens. You wake up and you walk away. Nothing ever changes. And so Jesus says, when you pray, do not use vain repetition. Don't think just because your prayer is long, you will be heard. It is better to speak some real serious words with someone than to speak a lot of words that mean nothing. If you have a friend over, and let's say you get together with someone even weekly, on a weekly basis, and you have the same conversation every week, the same words or the same ideas, how long do you want to hang out with that person? Not very long, right? I know what he's going to say because I heard it last time and the time before. It's not genuine. When you go to the Lord, speak to the Lord with the things that are going on in your own life. Be open with Him. He knows the things that we have need of before we ask. Yet we're called or told to come and ask. Commune with the Lord. Speak to the Lord. Be intentional with your prayers. Use words that mean something. Luke chapter 18 Verses 1 through 8, Jesus gives us an example of how we ought to pray. And he told them a parable to the effect that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain place, there was a judge who neither feared God nor the, neither respected men. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I am sure when this 
widow came before the judge, she was intentional with the words she used. She was sincere when she said, give me justice over my adversary. It wasn't casual, it was earnest. I want justice. And Jesus says here, when he comes back, will he find such faith in the earth where you and I have confidence that he hears us? And he also says he will not delay long, but he will give them speedy, he will give justice speedily. Come to the Lord knowing and expecting him to meet with you. Go to your quiet place, knowing that the Lord wants to meet you there and expect to meet him there. And he will. For he knows what we need. And then we'll go to verse 9. It says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This prayer, I knew probably from before I can remember, I've known this prayer off heart. I said it every morning and every evening growing up. And yet we look at what Jesus says. He doesn't say, pray this prayer. He says, when you pray, pray like this. And I never understood what I prayed, going back to vain repetition. I used this prayer for years, having no idea what I was saying. I grew up in Old Colony, so I spoke in High German. I had no idea what it meant. And when I got born again, and when I read this, I remember being shocked, like, is that what I've been asking? Is that what I've been praying? And so when we think of coming before the Lord, it's important for us to realize what we're saying. Be intentional. He says here, pray in this manner. Our Father who is in heaven. When we pray, we pray to our Father. Not some stranger. Not someone we don't know. But to our Father who is in heaven. We come to him because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We come to him in Jesus' name and he hears us. So we come to our Father. In the days that Christ walked the earth, the Jews did not say that God was their father. They actually didn't even say his name. They said the man from um, up there. That's how they referred to him often. In John chapter 5, verse 18, it says, And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so we come to... God, our Father. We, need, we recognize who we're coming to when we pray. We're not praying to some stranger, but to a provider for us. He's provided salvation for every one of us. And we come to one who protects us. And that's something we see throughout the gospel as Jesus prays again and again. He addresses God as, a, as his Father. Second part, he says... When you pray, says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. How often have you asked God to hallow his name in your life? Jesus is giving us an example on how we should pray. Do you go before the Lord and say, Lord, help my life to be holy today. May your name be honored in my life. When those around me who aren't Christians see my life, May they see that I hollow the name of God. That I reverence the name of God. Or am I like anyone else? It doesn't really matter. Do you 
pray that you would hallow God's name? Do you pray for the church that those who claim the name of Christ, that they would hallow the name of God, that God's name would be hallowed among them? We probably all know the command, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And often we associate that with, don't use his name in vain. Don't say his name in vain. But it says, don't take his name in vain. Meaning, we aren't, claimed, we aren't called to be, or we're told not to say, I am a child of God. And then live a life that completely contradicts it. When I say, I am a child of God, and I don't walk after it, I'm taking his name in vain. Not because I don't say his name vain, but because I claim to be something that my life contradicts completely. That is taking the name of God in vain. And here he asks, pray that God's name would be hallowed. Not just in my life, but in the life of the church. And not just in the church, but also in the life of those around, that the country would have a reverence for God. And so how often do we pray? How often do I pray? How often do you pray that God would be, first of all, hallowed in your life, then in the life of the church, and then in the life of those in the nation, and so on? So Jesus says, pray this. Or rather, pray like this. May his name be hallowed. Then verse 10, he goes on and says, And your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. Do you ever ask God's kingdom to come when you pray? I know I, not very often. And yet, when we think of praying, we look to the example that Jesus gives us, gives us here, and he asks for his kingdom to come. What does that mean? When Jesus came to the earth, when he started his earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 2, I think it is, or 3, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is this kingdom of heaven that we are to call for God to bring? That your kingdom would come. And a very simple aspect, the kingdom of God is the spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who call on God for salvation. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is those who are born again. You and I, who are born again this morning, we are the kingdom of heaven. It resides within us. And Jesus says, pray that his kingdom would come. And when we think even in the throne room of heaven, it says, your will be done. How is the will of God done in the kingdom of heaven? In the throne room of heaven, for instance. I don't think there are any angels or anyone in heaven when God says go that they hesitate. I believe when an angel is told go there, they immediately go. And so when we think of this prayer, Jesus says, your will be done. When we're given a command, when the Lord tells us to do something, we're at, we ought to be as it is done in heaven. We go and do right away. We don't procrastinate and say, you know what, maybe next week. If the Lord is telling you to deal with something, we deal with it right away. And so what is God's will? A little note here I have here. It says, God's will includes that which God has chosen to reveal to us in the scriptures or in the Bible. You want to know what God's will is? Read the Bible. Spend time in the Word of God. Spend time reading and studying the scriptures. His precepts are plainly stated 
Malachi 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with the Lord your God. What does God require of us? Well, to act justly to everyone, to show mercy to everyone, and to walk humbly with the Lord. Also, he has shown us his preceptive will, which is which we should do or should not do. For example, we know that God's will that we speak what is true in love. That we speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4 verse 15. It is the will of God as we communicate with whether Christians or non-Christians. We always speak the truth in love. Acts 3.19 says that we repent and turn to God. Repentance isn't a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. As the Lord reveals things in your own life that you need to repent of, we repent of it. And as we do so, the Lord works in us and sanctifies us. It's also revealed in Scripture that we should not commit adultery. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Ephesians 5, 18 says, do not get drunk. God's revealed will is constantly making wise the simple. And so as we study the Scriptures, as we seek the Lord in prayer, the Lord reveals these things to us and we're changed moment by moment. And so when we think of this prayer here, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God is, God is done with haste in the kingdom of heaven and it ought to be the same way in our lives. And so we ask the Lord, help us as Christians, help me as a follower of Christ to Speedily obey your commands. When you convict me, let me obey instantly, not prolonging. And those, well, in my own life, I know I've experienced this a number of times. The Lord tells me, share the gospel with someone. You know that the Lord says, this person needs the gospel. And you hesitate. And you prolong it. It gets more and more difficult. And so, in my own life, when I listen to that prompting, I do it right away, the stress is gone, and it's easy. And so when we think of even praying this prayer or praying in this manner, ask the Lord to give you courage to pray or to do what he tells you to do instantly. Don't procrastinate, but when the Lord says do, do. When the Lord says don't, we stop. And so the Lord is teaching us to lean on him continually and to listen to his commands. Verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. A daily reliance on the Lord. Today's day, we don't go out and make food for just the day. We have fridges with food in it, pantries full, freezers, some of us. And so we may not ask daily for his bread or for our bread. Yet, we ought to live daily upon dependence of the Lord. Not a one-time thing. We walk with the Lord daily. It's a daily relationship, minute by minute. We need Him every hour, every minute. And so even as we'll go on, we'll see why. In Exodus chapter 16, 16 through 35, we're not going to go there, just want to briefly hit a few things there. Exodus 16 is where the manna comes down from heaven. And Moses gives the command, when you see this manna, this dew in the morning, collect what you need for the day. And do not collect anything extra. 
Whatever is left over, throw out. Tomorrow, you'll have it happen again. And so we see the children of Israel, some follow the instruction. They collect just what they need. And then we see those who collect more than they need. Because what if God doesn't come through for me tomorrow? What if tomorrow it's not there? And so we see they collect double than what they need for a day. And we see that whatever they had left over, the next day turns to maggots and so on. We see the wrath of God poured on his people. And so God wants us to live a life where we depend on him daily. Whether it's for my walk with the Lord, whether it's my communion with him. It's not a once a week thing. When you seek the Lord, make it a habit where you go seek him daily. Where you spend time with him daily. Find a place, make this part of your schedule that I seek the Lord daily. A daily dependence upon him. Verse 12 says, And as we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Matthew, going on just a few verses down, six, verse 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive other, others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive yours. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Anybody ever notice that? It's a hard saying. It's difficult to comprehend even. The grace of God surpasses everything. It's a free gift. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And yet we see Jesus himself saying here, and forgive us our debtors, or our debt as we forgive our debtors. How easy isn't it for us to be bitter towards someone? You know, even when it comes to family relationships, some of us are bitter towards parents, maybe, or towards children, or towards spouses. We can't forgive them. And yet here Jesus says, pray this way. Forgive me my sins, God, as I have forgiven those who have sinned against me. And if you're someone who has a hard time forgiving, that is hard to pray. Because we want to be forgiven. And so, I believe what the Lord is telling us here is that we ought to be people who are quick to forgive. I know for myself, when I go before the Lord and I have someone that has irritated me and I'm annoyed and even bitter towards them and I go before the Lord, He says, Jake, deal with this. Forgive. Forgive those who have offended you because I have forgiven you. Going back to know who you are. Do you know who you are? You are a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. By the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You have no chance of heaven outside of Jesus Christ. And every one of us that's born again relies on the finished work of the cross. And not on ourselves at all. And if God has forgiven me and you our great debt, how can we as forgiven people not forgive those who offended us and so Jesus says here forgive me like I forgive those around me I don't know about you but I want to be forgiven right away when I sin I don't want God to sit there and say what's going on and so as we walk with the Lord as we commune with the Lord in prayer 
We constantly have this recognition that we are forgiven, that I've been forgiven a great debt. And when you pray these things, when you recognize that you've been forgiven, it doesn't take much to forgive those who have offended you. You recognize real quick, you know what, I can forgive. I myself am a sinner who needs the grace of God, who needs forgiveness daily. How can I then not extend forgiveness like God extends for me? Matthew 18, 21 through 27 says, Then Peter came up and said to them, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who had owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, his children, and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of the pity of him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debts. That is you and I. We had a debt that we could not pay. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been forgiven. And so here Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive those who offend me? How many times should I feel violated before I say, that's enough? Seven times? Is that enough? Jesus says, no. Seventy times seven. Forgive. And I would say if someone is being abused or so on, remove yourself from situations like that. I'm not saying that there is no consequences. But as we have been forgiven, we ought to forgive those who offend us. And then moving on to verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When's the last time you've asked the Lord not to lead you into temptation? Hopefully regularly. When do you pray that you would not be tempted today? Not to say that God tempts anyone. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But he allows us to go through temptations. We look at the life of Job. If you're familiar with his life, he went through much trial, and the devil tempted him a lot, yet God did not tempt him. And so, ask the Lord not to lead you into temptation, not to allow you to go through trials. We are vulnerable. We have an enemy who will give all he can to destroy us. And so we need to seek the Lord, depend on him, on his leading, on his guiding, so that we do not enter into temptation but that we would be delivered from his snares. In Luke 22, verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. So we see even the apostle Peter was 
The devil came to Jesus or to God at one time and said, I want to have access to Peter. And Jesus says, I've prayed for you. And so the devil wants access to you and me. He wants to destroy us. And so we are told here, pray to our Father in heaven that he would not lead us into temptation. That we would not be tempted. But if we are being tempted, not to blame God, but then to ask God for the way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13 With every temptation, he has made a way of escape. That we are able to bear the temptation. And so as we face temptation, I know myself, when I am in the middle of a temptation at times, I'll ask the Lord, show me the way out. You've promised with every temptation, you have made a way out. I don't need to stay here. Show me what it is. Show me the way out so that I can walk holy and justly before you. That your name would be hallowed in my life as we read in verse 10. Show me how I can walk earnestly and uprightly. When this temptation comes, I don't need to give in. So show me the way out. And so as we look at the whole prayer here, the Lord's Prayer as it's often known, we see that without the Lord we can do nothing. We come to the Lord first of all and we ask to live a holy life for Him so that His name would be glorified. And so as I conclude here this morning, how rich is your prayer life? How do you examine if you have a successful prayer life? How do you weigh how good your prayer life is? And I would say the best way to weigh that is how has it changed you? How does prayer change you? Does it make you more grateful? Does it make you more compassionate? Does it make you humble? As we walk with the Lord, as we seek the Lord, I know from my own life, I'm humbled by the goodness of God. I'm overwhelmed by His grace towards me. I'm overwhelmed by the favor he shows me. And I am at times overwhelmed with how he can communicate with me through prayer. How the things of this life just seem to fade away, the struggles of life. Not by how long I pray. At times, these things happen instantly. Within a few minutes, and at times, it is like that parable in Luke 18. Give me justice. Meet with me, Lord. It feels empty and vain. It feels like there's nothing there. When we are in, if you're in a place like that today, I encourage you, seek the Lord. Make time for the Lord. Plan an evening away where you leave everything at home. Go to the beach or go to some place quiet. Expect to meet the Lord there. Draw nigh to the Lord and He will draw nigh to you. Let's close with prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, thank you again for your grace and your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that you've given to us. Lord, we pray this evening or this morning that you would help us to live a life that honors the name, that honors your name. Lord, help us to be people who seek your kingdom with all of our hearts and would you not lead us into temptation. And Lord, help us to forgive those who've offended us. And Lord, help us to have a real and meaningful prayer life.
In Jesus' name, amen.